Hi, and welcome to our podcast, ChristianBriefs.com. We are a site that takes a look at the latest Christian books and classic Christian books as well. And we summarize them for you so that you can get a sense of what the key ideas are in great books. Um, You can use it to save yourself time, to help you to filter, to help you to select and find great books that you would like to delve into more deeply, and most of all, to help you grow in your spiritual walk and your walk with Christ. And so the first book that we'll look at um, will be um, a book called Seeking Allah and Finding Jesus, written by Nabil Qureshi. So the main idea in this brief is that Jesus said, No man can come to me except the Father who has sent him, draw him, and I will raise him up at the last day. A lot of prayer, time, and effort went to bringing Nabil Qureshi to Christ, but it was God that created the hunger to know him. Qureshi found himself on his knees praying that God would reveal to him who he really is. Being raised as a grandchild of Muslim missionaries on his mother's side, and with a heritage that stretched back to the four caliphates who followed Muhammad, the Qureshi family had a long history as fervent followers and Islamic advocates. He was steeped in Islamic culture and religion from the beauty of the morning prayer call, the Andan, to the nightly prayer, and to the month-long Christmas-like celebration of Ramadan. Qureshi loved it all. Yet Qureshi learned many of the foundational truths he had learned about Muhammad were false. He learned many of the things he was taught about Jesus weren't true as well. He had been taught the Quran was passed directly from the angel Gabriel to Muhammad and dictated word for word, that it was inerrant and unchanged since the beginning. Now, by contrast, he believed the Bible had been corrupted and changed, as do most Muslims. Relationships were a large part of what kept him bound to Islam, and God used deep, long-standing friendships to bring him out of Islam and to Christ. He also found evidence about the gospel in Jesus, which he was able to compare and contrast to Quran and Muhammad when he actually looked for himself and dug for himself. God showed him directly, through dreams and visions, who God was. Was he the God, Allah, or was he Jesus? Sinking Allah, finding Jesus. Brief two. Call to prayer. The Muslim life is meshed with the prayers and rituals of Islam. The day begins with the dawn, the call to prayer, which repeats some of the key beliefs of Islam. There is one God, Allah, and Muhammad is his prophet. Come to prayer. Come to prosperity and success. Prayer is better than sleep for the morning prayer. Every morning begins this way. There are prescribed prayers to be given, and the Muslim must pray a prescribed number of repetitions of these prayers. There are ritual washings pre-prayer. These prayers mark the clock for the Muslim. The first at dawn, the second just afternoon, the third mid-afternoon, the fourth just after sunset, and the fifth between sunset and midnight. 
Billions of Muslims answer the Adhan and pray all at the same time all over the world. There are congregational prayers that take place at the mosque, and the mosque is the nerve center for weddings, funerals, birthdays, anniversaries, holidays, virtually everything. There are dua, prayers of supplication for particular needs. Qureshi could recall his mother, Ami, reciting a dua that gave her strength when he sliced his hand badly while playing as a three-year-old. He noted the strength it gave her. In the Qureshi family, Ami often sang praise songs while cooking. She instructed Qureshi on the Quran from around the age of four on. She wanted him to read the Quran in its entirety by the time he was six years old, in Arabic, and he did. She instructed him and his sisters about their prophet, Muhammad. They learned facts such as who raised him, who his first wife was, the mercy he showed at Mecca, and other things about him that portrayed Muhammad as the perfect prophet. A newborn Muslim will have the Adhan whispered in their ear at birth and will quickly learn the foundational beliefs of Islam, the declaration of faith, the shahada, prayer, salah, almsgiving, zakat, fasting, psalm, and pilgrimage, the hajj. The declaration of faith states there is no God but Allah, and Muhammad is his prophet. They also learn what Sharia is, essentially Islamic law. The order of precedence for decisions, fatwa, that stem from Sharia law. First is the Quran, which is at the top of the hierarchy. If it can't be found there, comes the Hadith, which was a collection of sayings that Muhammad said. And finally, the Ulema, which is a collection of sayings by Islamic scholars. The premier holiday in the Islamic world is Ramadan. It is essentially a month-long celebration of Christmas for Muslims, akin to Christmas. Gifts are exchanged and families move from house to house on different days of the month, with each house being responsible for the food on their day of hosting. It's fellowship, food, and a joyous celebration of the faith. Brief three, an ambassador for Islam. As Qureshi grew to middle school age, his mother, Ami, told him to be an ambassador for Islam. No matter what he did, she said he should do it with excellence, so people would see Islam as the desirable religion. Whether he was a janitor, a student, or a doctor, Ami wanted the work done with excellence because it sent a message to the world about who Allah is. Qureshi figured out it is key to determine if a Muslim is first or second generation. As a second-generation Islamic servant himself, he found himself a member of a third culture. While traditional Pakistani Muslim culture represented one culture and America represented a second culture, Qureshi was a member of a third culture that was neither of the other two. He didn't fit in either culture. He was seen as relatively disobedient for the first culture and as an outsider in the second. It's important to talk with Muslims to get their individual views. Each individual third culture Muslim will be different. Qureshi's sister, for example, believed Allah could lead people to him through many different religions, including Christianity, while wearing a burqa. Other third culture Muslims dated outside the culture, American girls or Filipino girls, for example. This behavior was punished by the elders who would gather around the offender and point out the shame of what the individual was doing and how this impacted the rest of the family. They were taught some apologetics as well. They were taught a couple of different theories about Christ's crucifixion experience, either that he didn't actually die, the swoon theory, or the substitution theory, that Jesus' face was placed on another individual. 
Judas was a common suspect for this, though exactly who um, varied quite a lot. People believed to have been substituted for Jesus. They were also taught that Jesus never claimed to be God as part of their inoculation against Christianity. A school play about Christianity showed Qureshi and his father, Abba, what they believed Christianity got right and what it got wrong. They thought it was right to show heaven and hell, but wrong to believe saying a prayer could bring one to a place of right standing with God. They believed Allah would judge your good and bad deeds. If the good outweighed the bad, you would go to heaven and vice versa. Muslims also hold a dim view of Christianity, equating it with America. Promiscuity they saw in America they thought was part and parcel of Christianity. In their eyes, the lack of emphasis on judgment by Christianity led to the depraved behavior they witnessed in America. Muslims are open to supernatural events such as dreams and visions, which are accepted as a way Allah communicates with people. Qureshi personally experienced a supernatural vision after praying to locate his friends at a very large event in Scotland. Two ribbons appeared in the sky after the prayer and led him directly to his friends. This took his faith that there was a God from 99% to 100%. Brief 4. Testing the New Testament. How did Qureshi move from being rooted in Islam to Christianity? A lot of it had to do with a unique relationship. When he went to college, the first person he met was a gentleman named David Wood. The two became best friends. David had been a believer for five years, and he read his Bible and had really dug deeply into Christianity. The two had instant rapport, teasing each other in a restaurant very early in their friendship. David told Qureshi there was no Middle Eastern pizza, and Qureshi replied that they likely had white pizza, which was bland and tasteless. They would teach each, tease each other like this right from the start. When they were together in a hotel room, Qureshi saw David sit down and read the Bible. This was something he had never seen before. He had never seen a Christian reading the Bible. He began to quiz David on the Bible. He quickly discovered David knew not only what was in the Bible, but also understood its history and how it came to us today. He could meet Qureshi's objections head on. When Qureshi argued the Bible was corrupt and had changed, David pushed back, sharing with him that we had Bibles from the first century, second, and third century. He shared with him the principles of using the earliest version of the Bible to settle controversies. Also, how we could identify verses that were added, such as 1 John 5 and the adulteress in Mark. This should increase confidence in the Bible as we can see exactly where changes were introduced. He was able to show that the Bible of today is the same as the Bible of the 300s and that the current Bibles were in fact based on those manuscripts. He also explained the reason for so many versions of the Bible. Uh, it was really about different translations, but the message was the same. It was about meaning, not word choice. Qureshi also tried to dispute that the Bible was ever reliable. But once it was shown the Bible was indeed reliable, then he began to argue against the accuracy of the Bible from the start. David pointed out that people had done such things in the past, saying, for example, that Luke was wrong about Lysanias. But later discoveries showed there were two such Lysaniases, and Luke was right. The level of detail, um, the amount of information that the word gives us, allows us to validate its accuracy. 
He also shared the Bible had been written before 100 AD. and Many eyewitnesses to events were still alive and able to make edits. Papaya stated that Mark was confirmed by Peter, who was an eyewitness to the event. So Qureshi found himself on shaky ground as he attempted to go with the standard Muslim argument that the Bible has been corrupted while the Quran has been perfectly preserved. Brief five, (laughs) coming to the crux of the matter. David and Qureshi took many of the same courses together. One of them was a chemistry course in which they studied litmus tests. This shows if something is an acid or a base by the color of a piece of chemically treated paper dipped in the substance. David was starting to think of litmus test for the truth of Christianity. He decided three things really matter to Christianity. First, that Christ really died on the cross. Second, that Jesus was resurrected. And third, that Jesus was divine. Proving any of these wrong would disprove Christianity. Muslims believe in something called the swoon theory. This theory is that Jesus was not killed on the cross and that by the application of the preparations Simon did, he was revived. David and a group of Christians he and Qureshi met with disproved this when they described what crucifixion was really like. It began with the use of the flagellum. This was a specially tipped whip that would pulverize muscle and crush veins. It sometimes collapses stomach walls if accidentally applied there. Many died at this point. No one was known to have survived crucifixion. The way it killed was by rendering the person nailed to the cross unable to breathe when in the down position. They would have to push up to breathe. Eventually their strength would give out and they would die of suffocation. This was the reason the Romans broke their legs so they wouldn't be able to push up and die rapidly. They would also stab them in the heart in many cases as well. This is what they did to Jesus. The blood and the water that came out proved Jesus really died. When Qureshi tried to say the blood gushed out, and this was proof Jesus was still alive, the team showed him the Greek word used here could simply mean came out as well. Based on the process, it was clear that Jesus did not survive the crucifixion. This was a fact 100% of scholars agreed on that worked in this area. The next point Qureshi tried to disprove was the resurrection. But this was dismantled when it was pointed out that had the body been in the possession of the Romans, they would have trotted it out to stop the spread of Christianity. They didn't because they couldn't. The renewed zeal and vigor of the disciples was also pointed to what would cause a group of men who had been depressed and despondent, to turn into passionate advocates for Christ, willing to sacrifice their lives. Clearly, they believed they had seen the risen Christ. Jesus, mortal or divine. Brief six. This was the last remaining point Christianity needed to prove for Qureshi to believe. His claim was that Jesus never said he was God. He merely called himself the Son of Man. He was just a man. At this point, David and Qureshi shared a genetics class. It was here that the final challenge was laid down from Qureshi to David around this issue. David gave Qureshi a book called More Than a Carpenter by Josh McDowell. 
This point Qureshi claimed to know already because Muslims believe Jesus is a prophet, but only that. Jesus makes carpenters, David replied to Qureshi. He was told the Bible says all things came into being through Christ. Qureshi argued this was not in the Gospels, but in fact, it's found in John. This contradicted everything Qureshi had learned. McDowell's claim was that the Bible presents Jesus as God. McDowell wrote about Peter calling Jesus the son of the living God. This was not impressive to Qureshi, who had been taught this title was used with many people in the Bible, including Adam and Solomon. McDowell cited the miracle of Jesus as evidence of his deity. Qureshi pushed back with the argument that God did the miracles, not Jesus. But a couple of new additions to a later McDowell book, one where Jesus himself said, all will honor the Son, just as they honor the Father. And another where Jesus praised a disciple who called him God, could not be refuted. Reading John for himself, Qureshi saw that right from the start, it makes the claim that Jesus is God, and that he was with God the Father right from the start. His only comeback was this was all from John, a later gospel in his view. McDowell's book highlighted the book of Mark, where when asked if he was the son of God, Jesus responded, I am. Students of the word know this is the title Yahweh gave himself when he revealed himself to Moses. Clearly, Jesus was claiming to be God, refuting what he had been taught from childhood. The nail in the coffin was that the title son of man was used to mean something much more than a man in Daniel. As my vision continued that night, I saw someone like a man, a son of man, coming with the clouds of heaven. He approached the ancient one and was led into his presence. He was given authority, honor, and sovereignty over all the nations of the world, so that people of every race and nation and language would obey him. His rule is eternal. It will never end. His kingdom will never be destroyed. Now, David's last arguments with Qureshi on this topic were around the writings of Paul which are the earliest biblical letters written around 40 A.D. Here Paul clearly presents Jesus as divine. Koreshi tried to argue Paul wrote this simply to take advantage of a power vacuum. At this point, he knew he'd pushed David too far. David explained that a power-hungry man wouldn't seek to be a martyr. And Paul was, next to Jesus, the second most godly person in the New Testament. Koreshi was at a crossroads. Everything he needed to see in Christianity, he had now seen. What would he do? Brief number seven. The case for Christ. One Christian doctrine that is particularly offensive to Muslims is the Trinity. Remember, the key part of the Shahada is there is no God but Allah. The concept of three beings that are one is polytheism to Muslims. Qureshi gained an understanding of how it could be true from chemistry class when they studied nitrates. It turns out nitrates can exist with three resonance structures, all at the same time. Resonance structures are pictures of how molecules are joined together through double bonds and lone pairs. The doctrine of atonement for sin caused problems for Qureshi as well. Two in particular. The first was 
that it seemed to him the penalty for minor offenses and major offenses was the same. Hell. The second was, why would God take the penalty for our sins? How could one man, Jesus, take the penalty for everyone? Qureshi recognized he was a sinner, but he was using an Islamic perspective to view sin. Sin to the believer is a twisting, corrupting force that fractured the universe. There is no room for it in heaven. No room at all. What hope is there for us, Qureshi thought aloud. Only grace, David told him. Struggling with how one man could take the penalty for everyone, he was reminded Jesus was not only a man to Christians, but also God. What Qureshi thought of as paying a trillion dollar debt with one dollar was more like paying a trillion dollar debt with an infinite account. But why would God do this? Why would he show this grace? Because he is our father and he loves us that much. Could God really be like that, he wondered? Could he really be that wonderful? He was beginning to see God as he really is. The idea of a personal God who is a father and we as his children is totally foreign to Islam. Allah is much more impartial, more like a judge than a father. Sins are weighed, and if the good outweighs the bad, you go to heaven. Moreover, a Buddhist friend pointed out there was a test for Christianity. Either Jesus died on the cross, or he didn't. With Buddhism, he told Qureshi, there was no such test. It was more a way of living. Brief 8. The Truth About Muhammad Qureshi had a talk with a group made up of Christians, atheists, agnostics, even an astrophysicist was in the group. His mission was to move them towards Islam. He started by telling them about Muhammad, because Muhammad is really at the heart of Islam. While one can question Allah with a, with a Muslim, questioning Muhammad is simply not permitted. He is seen as the perfect prophet. The culture, traditions, and religion all stem from him. He is the author of the Hadith. The Hadith, more than anything else, tells the Muslim how to live. The root word Islam comes from, means peace. Muhammad is the living embodiment of that to Muslims. The Meccans killed his uncle, who cared for him after he was orphaned, and his first wife. Yet, Muhammad showed them mercy. Now, the group took him to task on the fact that the written stories about Muhammad came 250 years post his death. Things get wildly exaggerated in that space of time, no matter what and no matter who. By contrast, the Gospels about Jesus were written within a few years of his death in the company of eyewitnesses who could validate or correct the narrative. As he learned more, the picture got worse. The earliest written sources on Muhammad, Ibn Hisham, admitted he altered his biography of Muhammad. He took out what he said was the disgraceful, that which caused distress, and that which couldn't be trusted. Sahih Bakari's hadith exposed that Muhammad was terrified by his angelic visits and that he was pressed so hard he could barely breathe. Muhammad became depressed and contemplated suicide. The quote-unquote perfect prophet was far from perfect once real sources were read versus the stories passed down about Muhammad. Muhammad was ordered to kill those who did not convert to Islam and take their property. He believed it a necessity to practice the violent form of jihad. There is a nonviolent jihad that is about the internal struggle to do right. 
Other works showed Muhammad had not strictly fought defensive battles, but in some cases started them, contradicting what Qureshi had been taught orally. His friend David found that Muhammad was hypocritical in that Islam allowed four wives, but Muhammad had seven. He married a girl of six years old and consummated the marriage when she was nine years old and Muhammad was 52. David also found sources that showed Muhammad was poisoned, had black magic cast on him, and admitted some of his verses came from Satan. He caused his adopted son to divorce his wife so he could marry what had been his daughter-in-law. Brief 9. The Truth About the Quran The way the Muslim thinks about the Quran is not the way a believer thinks about the Bible. To the Muslim, the Quran is more akin to Jesus, that is, the incarnation of God. The perfection, mystery, and depth of God, these are all characteristics of the Quran to Muslims. It is more like Jesus as the Word than like the Bible. There are five pillars on which the Quran rests. First, Muslims believe that it is unmatchable that people could try to recreate it, but that they will always fail. Second, that it has accurate prophecies. Third, that it has mathematical patterns that are built into it. Fourth, that it accurately gives scientific information, even though it was written more than a thousand years ago when these things weren't known by mortal men. Five, that it has been perfectly preserved over time. Let's look at each of these one by one. When Qureshi actually looked at this, this is what he found. First, there was a book that did match up to the Quran and the judgment of other Muslims. And in fact, they thought that it was actually part of the Quran. It was something called Al-Fuqan Al-Haq, which is actually the Bible, but it was written in the style of the Quran. So much for the first claim that it was unmatchable. The second was when Qureshi looked at the Quran, he found zero accurate prophecies in it. The third was the mathematical patterns were completely unimpressive to him because it was nothing that you couldn't find in other literary works like Shakespeare and the Bible. And then the, one of the, the two most important for him, uh, this, the claims to it being scientifically accurate, he was a student of biology and he found statements the Quran made to be wildly inaccurate. For example, in the area it's, it spoke of the, the sperm as a hanging thing that changes into a chewed thing, then to bones, then to flesh, then to another creature. Now, the reality is that the bones and the flesh, they develop together. So the Quran had the sequence wrong. And then not only that, but it said that um, the sperm came from uh, near the backbone of the body, which we know is certainly not true. And so this showed him that it was not the accurate source of scientific information he had always heard it was orally when he really delved into it. As for its perfect preservation, he found out that the creation story of the Quran did not match up to the written history. Muhammad, he had been told, recited it to scribes who wrote it down immediately. Then copies were made and distributed, and it was easily verifiable because many had memorized it and it was agreed on. Now, when he looked at it from the standpoint of the written record, what he found was quite different. It turns out it was dictated orally to different people, and the same verse was dictated differently to different people by Muhammad. Zaid ibn Thabit was charged with 
creating the standard Quran, and his version ended up with 114 chapters. But another man who had memorized the Quran earlier had 116 chapters, or surahs as they call them. Finally, a third man who was highly revered for his expertise on the Quran had 111 chapters. It was confirmed that at least one surah or chapter was missing from the so-called standard version, and a verse went missing when Muhammad died. So much for the perfect preservation of the Quran. At this point, foundation collapsed for Qureshi. He had banked on Muhammad and the Quran, and now his own research had shown him the truth, which is far different than what the average Muslim believes. Further, he found out the Quran advocated rape of married women who had become slaves as a result of war. What they talked about, those the right hand possesses. That's a euphemism for slaves. Um, even as a result of, of war, even in the presence of their husbands, this was the final straw. Permitting rape of those women broke Qureshi. His faith in Islam at this point was broken. Brief 10, faith in crisis. Qureshi had finished college in three years. Both he and David, his best friend, received the Kaufman Award, which was the highest award that their school, Old Dominion University, offered. Only six out of thousands of students in his class received it. It represented academic, social, and leadership at the highest level. Yet, he was virtually oblivious to this as he struggled with what he had learned about his faith. He questioned in talks with David, could God even represent himself to Qureshi in a way he could accept being a Muslim? He felt his framework might not allow it. David pointed out Qureshi had experienced divine guidance before and that Qureshi knew better. He knew God could make himself known to Qureshi. At this point, Qureshi asked God to reveal himself to him. Was he the God of the Bible or Allah? Here he considered the cost, the potential loss of his life, the loss of family, and the shame he would bring upon his family. He would commit the one unforgivable sin in Islam, what they call shirk. He would recognize another God other than Allah. But going down on his knees in prayer, he rested on the Surah 2186 from the Quran, where Allah's right, where Muhammad writes, I answer their prayers when they pray to me, uh, as dictated by Allah, as, as Muslims believe. And in Matthew 7, verses 7 and 8 in the Bible, where the believer is told to ask, knock, and seek, and that they would receive if they did. So he, both, both holy books um, favor prayer and say that your prayers will be answered. So he asked for revelation in his prayer. And the moment that he finished the prayer, the room went completely dark, and he was given a vision. What he saw was a field with hundreds of crosses. God had answered, but he needed more considering his uncertainty and the astronomically high cost of leaving Islam. So what he asked for was for three dreams to confirm what God was saying to him. So after asking for three dreams, God answered. And one of the things you have to understand about Qureshi is that typically when he dreamed, he wouldn't remember his dreams or B, they would be extremely fuzzy. But in this case, all the dreams were extremely clear, is what he reports. And in his first dream, 
he saw a snake, and the snake was seated on a table, a pillar. He saw an iguana, a giant iguana, and a giant boy as well, who had a cricket. Now, the iguana tried to hide, and so he tried to make himself like a heel, and he meant to kill the giant boy. But the boy had a cricket who bit the head off the iguana. Now, what did this mean? Well, it turns out his mother, and you know, the, the word that's used in Arabic that they used to refer to the mother is Ami. So Ami, he asked her for her interpretation of the symbols based on her dream book. And what this is what she told him. A snake represents religion being questioned. And the sa- a snake set on stone meant that his view, um, her son's view, Nabil Qureshi, view of the world was changing quickly. The iguana, uh, which the best that she had was a monitor lizard in her book. It's a cruel hidden enemy that appears large and strong, but that will fall because of his inability to provide proof. Cricket, symbolically in dreams in her book, a warrior that will bring joy and happiness. And a little boy who is handsome, a bearer of good news, who will provide something you are seeking. So with this help, he knew the iguana was Islam. The little boy was his best friend, David, and the cricket was Christianity. So it was clear in this case um, that Christianity was the direction he was being pointed in. The next dream had him standing outside a very narrow door. And inside were a bunch of people who were sitting down and feasting. David was amongst those feasting. He tried to enter, but he was told he had been invited but he had refused the invitation. What Qureshi didn't know was, this is Luke 13, verses 22 through 29, that he had never read before. So obviously, that is from the Bible and a clear message about people who don't respond to Jesus' invitation. So that was his second dream, validating Christianity. And then he had a third dream where he was standing on stairs outside a mosque. Inside was an iman, seated on the carpet and dressed in white. He was on stairs. He, Qureshi, was on stairs leading away from the mosque. And even though he wanted to go back to the mosque, he could not. In the dream, they were all waiting for someone of greater authority than the iman. Turning to his ami again, he asked her to help him with her dream interpretation book. She told him someone seated on a carpet meant that person had gone astray and was going to give a false report. At this point, Qureshi had all he needed. Um, The apologetics had brought him to a point where he had to make a decision. Would he make Jesus his Lord or not? With the vision and the dreams, Qureshi finally gave in. He submitted and asked Jesus to take over as Lord of his life. He looked at the world differently when he got up from his knees. He saw a man walking down the sidewalk at school. He imagined the man's life. He saw himself as the product of blind evolution with no hope and no purpose. He was chasing whatever pleasure he could find. Did he know he had a father who loved him? Did he know? Qureshi ultimately finished his medical degree. He gave up medicine to pursue the ministry, further disappointing his parents. Along the way, he earned an M.D. and four other master's degrees. He ultimately ended up at the the Ravi Zacharias Ministry as a speaker and author. Eventually, 
he was diagnosed with stage four stomach cancer in his mid-30s, and he went home to be with the Lord shortly thereafter, leaving behind a wife and a young daughter. Brief 12, the final summary of Seeking Allah, Finding Christ. For a Muslim, accepting Christ puts them at odds with their family, their friends, and their culture. In some parts of the Hadith, the Islamic writing second only to the Quran, it's clear apostasy. Leaving the faith invokes the death penalty. Moreover, Islam sees worshiping Jesus as a sure ticket to hell. So the Muslim must be completely sure before accepting the Christian faith. Moreover, their family bears a level of shame that is difficult for a Westerner to understand. When a family member leaves the faith or even marries outside the faith, um, it is a matter of shame for the entire family. Now, Jesus said this, He that loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. And he that loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. In Matthew, the 10th chapter and 37th verse. Becoming a believer in Christ means giving up your father, your mother, your friends, and potentially your life for Islamic believers. The Christian who would witness to Muslims must understand the cost and their key beliefs about Christ, as well as what they are taught about the Quran and Muhammad. You will need to meet them where they are. Hi, thank you for listening to this brief. We have plenty more at ChristianBrief.com. That's C-H-R-I-S-T-I-A-N-B-R-I-E-F.com. May the Lord bless you and keep you. And hope you check out some of the other briefs at ChristianBrief.com.